Hello, and welcome to this edition of People in Transition. I'm your host, Bob Durst. I've been hiring, firing, and mentoring executives, frontline employees, interns, and job seekers in companies around the world through a host of transitions, some difficult, but most very good. I work with people in Hong Kong, India, Australia, and across the United States. What sets them apart? A lot, but there's more they have in common. And one of those commonalities is transition is a part of life. This experience has given me a bird's eye view on a variety of trends, economies, industry disruptors, and transitions that are big and small. It also brought me into contact with the thought leaders and decision makers you need to meet. The people who can make the difference that matters to you right now. Imagine knowing exactly what to do next and how to know it's time to make your big change. The inside track you're going to access during our future episodes is better than a crystal ball. It's the exact information you need to take that next step. Whether you're a new grad applying for your first professional job, someone looking to transition your work experience into a promotion, launching your own company, or maybe even starting to plan your retirement, you're in transition, and this series is for you. We all know transition can be scary, but it doesn't have to be. And it's even fun when you have VIP access to the future you want. Are you tired of the uncertainty of being passed up? We'll share with you the tools and skills that can take your dreams to the front of the line. So if change is on your horizon, or maybe just the thought of change, you won't want to miss this discussion. It could be the exact edge you need to turn transition into an amazing opportunity. Aleta Rocha, thank you so much for being with us on this episode of People in Transition. I am so excited to speak with you today. Glad to be here, Bob. Aleta, when you were younger, what did you want to be when you grew up? The very first ambition I can remember having was to be someone who trained guide dogs. And I have no idea where that came from, except I absolutely adored um, animals. And that seemed to be a good choice at that point in time. Aleta, what were the transition moments that occurred from that picture of yourself as a guide dog trainer to where you're at today? Bob, I think a number of things. I had a very nomadic childhood. My dad was in the mining industry. And from a young age, we didn't just move from town to town. We moved from country to country and, and continent to continent. So I have a very, very clear memory of myself at the age of eight being in my third continent, standing in front of yet another class of strangers and on my first day at school. And I was a kid with a funny accent and who'd come in midterm and not at the beginning of the year. And I remember saying to myself, Aleta, you've done this before, you can do it again. And innately by the age of eight, I had already figured out that the way you communicate determines how many friends you'd have at break time. And of course, another very important question for an eight-year-old, whether you'd get invited to birthday parties. And those lessons I learned at that very young age have stood me in good stead. And I've used them as an adult transitioning to another country when we were my husband was transferred for work. I've used them when I started in a job or transferred to a new company. And they're now ones that I teach my clients when I do speech coaching or interview skills coaching. 
Aletta, have, have you gone through transitions in your life? Apart from the obvious ones that I mentioned in terms of geographic transitions or new job or new country or that type of thing, for me, my biggest transition was going back into the workforce after taking a number of years off to raise my children. And I'd always heard that people sometimes lost confidence when they'd been out of the workplace, but I never thought that would happen to me. But I clearly remember being unsure of myself going back to work. And because it had been a gap of about 11 years, things had changed in those 11 years. So it was different going back. Aletta, how can a job seeker network more effectively? And how does strong communication skills help you in this area? Whether you are networking or interviewing or settling into a new job, one of the biggest things is confidence. Confidence to go up to a stranger and start a conversation, confidence in your own abilities and confidence in your ability to tell someone else what an impact you can have because of the talents that you bring to the table. So networking is very important, I think, to keep up your networking skills, number one. It also gives you conversation starting points. You can say things like, I was at a networking event last week and I met so-and-so and this is what I learned. So I think networking keeps you in touch with the industry you're interested in, with a company perhaps you're interested in, or with people that have a similar skill set or are in a similar career transition or a job that you are aiming for. How can I build that confidence if I'm, let's say, an introvert or I just don't like to do networking? One of the things that's worked exceptionally well for me is to join an organization called Toastmasters. And whenever you go to a Toastmasters meeting, you're interacting with people, you're learning to speak in public. And the beautiful thing is that you get feedback on what you present and that helps you improve. And I've watched so many people within Toastmasters within about two to three months, you can tangibly see their confidence improve. And they'll take that confidence back to networking events, to job interviews, to any interactions with people. So that's one of the best recommendations I've got is to find a local Toastmasters club, attend a few to see which one suits your personality and just hone those skills of communication and leadership. Aletta, if you were to tell one of your clients or someone who has asked you, I want to get better at networking, what's the two or three things that you would say, okay, if you're going to an event tonight, make certain you do these two or three things? I would say to listen more than you speak. In other words, when you meet someone, ask them about what they do and where they work and, and what their interests are and find a common point of connection with them and then start a conversation based on that point of connection. I would also say to a person to trust yourself. You are interesting in your very own right. So just go there and even though you're uncomfortable, push to the other side of that and just make connections with people. In a networking event, we're all human beings and we all want to be in a conversation with somebody. So go up to somebody, find out what they're about, Tell them a little bit about yourself, but try and be as relaxed as possible. It's not always easy, and especially if, if that's way out of your comfort zone. But the only way you build that muscle is by doing it. Set yourself a goal and find two or three networking events in the next few weeks that you can commit to going to, because that's how you get better at networking. 
Let's switch gears just a bit and move to resumes. How should you write your resume to help you get more interviews? I think you must really be conscious of what people are looking for. Remember that resumes are filtering tools above. That's really their function is a filtering tool because they get so many applications in and your resume has to showcase you almost at a glance. Very few people spend a lot of time reading a resume, perhaps only when you get to the short list will they look at the finer detail. So you want in a very short time to be able to tell them who you are, what experience you've got and what strengths you bring. I recommend that you look at a job description for your ideal type of job and look at the skills they are looking for and make sure they are reflected in your job description and are easy to pick out. Because if a recruiter is looking at a resume, they're looking to see how many of those boxes you tick. And obviously, the more you tick, the more likely you are to get onto the shortlist. You said you had an 11-year gap raising children. Others may have a gap as well. How do you deal with that on your resume to help the reader understand it and put you in the best possible light? We are very fortunate in some ways, and it probably sounds a bit funny to say this, but COVID has made gaps in your resume absolutely commonplace. So it's no longer something to be ashamed of. It's so commonplace that I think people hardly bat an eyelid. But what you have to do is to be able to tell the recruiter what you have done during that time when you haven't been employed. How have you managed to stay current with your industry or with your technical skills? How have you improved yourself? What courses have you done? And I remember one of my clients saying that he got as far as a final panel interview for a company he was looking to get a job at. And they said to him, you've been unemployed for X amount of months. What have you done during that time? And he mentioned that he had taken courses. He had joined Toastmasters. And he said that was the clincher for him when they employed him after they realized how he had improved himself during his time off. So there are many ways for you to do that, but be ready to share that with a recruiter, that this hasn't been dead time. It's been time that you've invested in yourself and developed skills that you're going to bring with you to the workplace. Aleta, how important is our ability to speak effectively? How important is that to our job search? Bob, in my opinion, it's really, really important. Think about it. You might have five people that they are interviewing on a shortlist for a job, and each one of them has got similar industry experience, similar expertise. So it all then comes down to the interview. And the recruiters are always looking for people who will fit into the team they've got. And your ability to communicate in that moment, to sell yourself in a way that resonates with the recruiter, to position yourself as a team player, to have stories that bring your CV to life or your resume to life, those are the things that make you stand out as a candidate. So for me, your ability to be relaxed and confident and your ability to communicate your strengths and how they will add value to the company those are the game changers when it comes to an interview. And Aleta, why does winging it, or maybe a little bit more professionally spoken, why does speaking extemporaneously not work as a communication plan during your job search? Bob, you're speaking to someone who used to be the queen of winging it. I did it very <laughs> successfully for a number of years until one day it didn't work for me. And I went for a job interview. I did get an offer, but it was an offer 
for the level lower than the one I was applying for. And that was my wake up call. So you can go and wing it, but you have to ask yourself what's at stake and it's your future that's at stake. So the one part of the interview process that you can control is your preparation. And if you give that 100% of your effort and really do yourself justice in the preparation, then you will be able to speak off the cuff, but with purpose and having done the preparation. So it, you might come across as not having rehearsed, but actually you have. And you've got used to telling stories about how you've applied your skills and giving examples of how you deal with conflict or solve a problem at work. And in other words, by doing intense preparation, you set yourself up to be relaxed and to be able to speak off the cuff, but yet you are very purposeful and intentional. But if you can pull that together, then you become an outstanding candidate. Aleta, why do people struggle with interviews based on the clients that you've coached? And I guess kind of an extension of that question is, why do they have problems selling their strengths? Bob, that's the common thread with, I'd say, almost 90% of our clients. They struggle to sell their strengths. I think somehow as a society, we have accepted that to sell your strengths is to be arrogant or boastful or in some way not a nice person if you're selling your strengths. And that's where people make the mistake. They think, well, it's all in black and white on my resume. They'll see how good I am. But the interview is your opportunity to bring your resume to life, to really make them see who you are behind what's on the piece of paper. I think how I've found the best way to explain it to people is to imagine that you've got a, your strengths and you know what they are. Those are the things that people come to you for help with, something that you can do innately and quickly that someone else might struggle with. The first thing you have to do is to identify your strengths. And there I recommend a website called, it's www.highfivetest.com, H-I-G-H, number five, test.com. And what I like about that is it's a very quick strengths finders test. What it really does, it gives you your top five strengths and it gives you in the explanation of the strength, the language you need to articulate how that impacts a team or how that's an asset to a company. And that's the secret source. So in other words, instead of thinking of yourself as bragging about something that you're good at or being arrogant, think about it rather that you've been given a talent and that talent can help solve a problem for a company or a team. And why wouldn't you share your talent? Because you know you can help. So go in with that mindset rather than thinking that you're arrogant and just tell them what you're good at and how that can solve a problem for the company. And usually that's saving time improving efficiency, solving a problem, improving customer service. They're those general problems that are applicable to almost every company. What have you found to be the most difficult interview questions for job seekers and how can they better prepare their responses to those questions? The questions that often trip people up are the ones where people say, tell us about a time when you had to deal with conflict or Tell us about a time when you had something that went wrong. There was a failure. How did you cope with it? The problem is thinking of an example of that. And of course, you can't be 100% sure ahead of time which question they're going to ask you. And that's where your preparation comes in. We teach our clients and students to have a bank of stories that they identify ahead of time so that when they get asked a question like that, they've already done the prep. They know the, what the story structure is. 
and they've done the thinking and then they can take that in the moment when you're already anxious and pull it together. So it's finding the right story and doing the rehearsal ahead of time so that you don't have to be caught off guard because you've considered a number of options. And I think it's it's a question of people struggle with finding the right instance. They also struggle with failure. And the way we teach our students to cope with a question around a weakness or a failure, number one, don't fall into the trap of saying, I'm a perfectionist and thinking that that'll get you off the hook in terms of weaknesses. Being a perfectionist can also be a weakness. So rather identify one or two weaknesses that you could potentially speak about. And I recommend you choose ones that aren't mission critical to the job. In other words, if you need a specific technical skill for a job, you're not going to say you have a weakness in that specific technical skill. But choose something that's general. I often talk about my efforts to run a zero inbox. And the important thing is not that you have a weakness. The important thing is what have you done about the weakness? So if I'm talking about my email inbox, it sometimes has a life of its own. I can say, well, I've tried various software programs to help me manage my emails and quickly file them. And I'm proud to say I've now only got an email inbox that on average has 20 emails in instead of a couple of hundred like it used to have. So the importance is acknowledge a weakness because it, we've all got them. Identify what you've done about the weakness and just show that you've made progress. And then that'll help you spin or turn a weakness into something positive. Elijah, how can a candidate prepare for their interview, especially those done over Zoom nowadays, and help making that connection with the recruiter? You raise a very important point, Bob. You have to think of it, you are on show. It's actually showtime. So spend some time Number one, getting familiar with the platform, whether it's Teams or Skype or Zoom, so that you are familiar with how it works, how to log on. Pay attention to your lighting. The lighting must come from behind your device onto your face. So you don't want to be having light behind you because if there's bright light behind you and your face is in shadow, you almost look like a suspect on one of the crime shows on TV. So make sure your face is well lit. You can use a desk lamp, you can use a window, but remember to check what time of day your interview is and what the lighting is like at that time of day. Also make sure that your device is at eye level so that your camera on your device is at the same level as your eyes. If you don't do that and you're, you're just looking down at your camera, you run the risk of the recruiter just looking up your nostrils. Also camera angle, you often see people on television being interviewed and you can see their ceiling and the lights on the ceiling. No, you want to adjust the angle so that you take up almost the full amount of this rectangle that you've got available to you. Lean forward, don't lean back, because when you lean back, you shrink on the screen and it almost diminishes your authority. Make sure you've got a professional background. In other words, neat and tidy. It doesn't need to be fancy. And my personal preference is to have a real background rather than a virtual background, because Sometimes you can see people ghosting in and out of a virtual background. So just check it ahead of time. Make sure if you choose to use a virtual one that you it actually works, so that half of you doesn't disappear as you move. And then the best advice I can give you is practice your answers to interview questions ahead of time. Video record yourself on your phone. Look at those recordings. Understand where you get stuck. Understand which parts sound really good. And just get familiar with saying things out loud. Don't just think the answers in your head. 
practice saying them out loud a number of times and that will build your confidence. You can ask friends or family to give you feedback, but just get used to rehearsing as if it's like a dress rehearsal. Just think of it like that. Aletta, is it okay to bring notes to an interview, whether it is over Zoom or team or in person? I think notes can have a place. You've got to ask yourself what you need the notes for. If you need the notes for a key fact or statistic that you want to refer to, that's perfectly acceptable. If you are trying to use notes to prompt you what to say, I would just have keywords there. Because the minute notes become a script for you, your voice tone changes, your eye contact moves away from the camera or the person in the room, and then you start sounding like you're reading something, and that's not what you want. So identify what it is that you need the notes for, make sure it's just short keywords, and then make sure you maintain eye contact and your voice quality so that you don't sound like you're reading off a script. What about taking notes, especially when the recruiter or hiring manager is answering questions that you might have? I think that's perfectly acceptable. In my experience, also taking notes when people ask questions, because sometimes you find people have very long-winded questions, two-part, three-part questions. So then you can take notes and also don't hesitate to ask them to repeat the question so that you are clear about exactly what they're asking before you start to answer. And if you are asking them questions, which is a good idea, and they are giving you information, yes, I think it's perfectly acceptable to take notes. Aletta, you talk about the 12 things recruiters are really looking for. Can you give us some insights in terms of what those areas are? Sure. If you put your recruiter hat on and you are the one who's interviewing people. They want to know that you are prepared. So if you come to the interview and you're just wanting to wing it and you've done no preparation, it sets off alarm bells in their head because they think either you don't know how to prepare, which is a problem, or you are too arrogant to prepare, which is also a problem. And if you're not going to prepare before you've even got the job, what are the chances that you will take your work seriously if they appoint you? So being prepared is one of the primary ones. They want to know that you know something about the company. Can you answer the question, why do you want to work here? And the wrong answer would be because you pay you know, great salaries or um, I'm desperate for a job. You don't want to say either of those. You want to know what the company values are and know why they resonate with you, what you want to achieve and also what you want to give. You don't want to be asking, do I get a corner office or what time is lunchtime? Everything in the interview must demonstrate that you are willing to give value, not that you're on the take, if I can put it that way. Recruiters are also looking for whether or not you're a team player. Everybody works in a team. There are very few people who work in isolation. So they want to know that you can get on with other people that you can deal with authority, that you can deal with conflict. So they're very much looking for team players. And they're looking for people who are committed. Sometimes they'll say to you, where do you see yourself in five years? And, and those type of questions. They're looking for people who are in it for the long haul and who care enough about their job to advance and care enough about the company to really give it their all. So we could go on and on listing things they're looking for, but primarily they're wanting to know, are you an asset to the company? Are you someone who can get on with their team? And are you prepared? Are you willing to give it your all? And that you can demonstrate by um, how you prepare for the interview, 
You can also demonstrate it in terms of your attitude and the stories you bring to the interview that demonstrate that if you're in a team and one team member lags behind, you'll go above and beyond to keep the team on track or you'll raise a red flag early if you can see things going off track. Those are the type of qualities they're looking for. Aleta, how do you deal with the emotional roller coaster that a job seeker goes through when they are looking for that next great opportunity? Bob, that's such an important question. And specifically, if you've been for multiple interviews and you're just not getting anywhere, it's really, really hard. The one thing I say to a lot of the clients I have, especially when they come to me for presentation skills coaching, is you must spend time visualizing the outcome you want. And don't rehearse your anxiety more than you rehearse your presentation or prepare for your interview. So I'm a great believer in visualization and create a movie in your own head of you going into that interview full with confidence, knowing that you've prepared, knowing that you are an asset, knowing that you have something to contribute to the team, to the company, to the job that you're applying for. And visualize yourself being engaging, relaxed and confident and assertive and able to answer any question that you've got. And take that mindset and rehearse that over and over and over again, in addition to doing excellent interview prep. You know, interviews are hard to come by. And it breaks my heart to think that someone can squander the opportunity that an interview could bring by not doing the right amount of prep or the right type of preparation. Keep your spirits up by doing everything you can to do justice to yourself in the moment and be very accepting of the fact that they might interview 10 and only one gets a job. And it doesn't mean that you're not good enough. It just means you weren't the best for the job. Keep going, keep looking and just do whatever it takes to get rid of the stress and to start again fresh You don't want to go into an interview looking jaded and kind of, okay, here we go again. I know it's going to be a waste of time. That kind of attitude will transmit itself to the recruiter. So do whatever you can to be positive, play positive music before the interview, take a walk outside if that works for you. Just look after yourself as best you can. Letta, one of the things that we like to give our listeners is those actionable things that they can implement today. If you were to coach one of your clients on the two or three things that they can do right now to help them be more effective in their job search, what would those two or three things be? The first thing would be to understand your strengths and don't be playing small here. Understand how good you are. What's your superpower? What do people approach you for? Go to the highfivetest.com and do a quick quiz and find your top five strengths and print out the answers so you've got that language ready. And then build on that and think of instances in your experience when you've used that strength and craft a story, three-minute story, about how you use that and how it made a difference and how it helped a team or how it helped achieve an objective. Practice saying those stories out loud because that is one of the best things you can do in an interview to communicate what you've got that that's really an asset, that's a strength and how it has already made an impact in the past. And if you can do those two things and and then spend time rehearsing it out loud, videoing yourself, you are already way ahead of most of the other interview candidates. Aletta, now we're going to go into our lightning round where I'm going to give you an area or a word, and I'd like you to spend 10, maybe 15 seconds on the key thoughts that you have on that item. 
Sounds good. First one, cover letters. Short, to the point, creative. Style of dress for your interviews. Do your research and discover what that industry norm is for dressing and try and go a little bit smarter than that. Body language during your interview. If it's a Zoom interview, sit forward, take up as much of that rectangle screen space that you've got and have good lighting, good sound and look as if you're really having a ball. Voice messages on your telephone. Do yourself a favor and listen to your own voice message because chances are you recorded it years ago and record a new one, something that's fresh, that reflects who you are and that does the job. The applicant question to the hiring manager. Be strategic about this. Use it to sell your strengths. Think of something you're really good at. For instance, I believe in marketing myself. I believe in self-development and I'm continuously wanting to learn. And then change that into a question and say, what opportunities do you offer for self-development for your employees? Thank you, Notes. If it makes you feel good, send it. I don't think it's going to be a deal breaker. Discussion of pay or benefits. My best advice is if you can delay it until they're really interested in you, delay it until then, because then you've got more leverage. However, they sometimes use it as a filtering question. Do your research and find out the salary range that they operate in and be ready with those numbers. References. Make sure they're current. Make sure they say what they need to say. And if needs be, help your references write them. Aletta, do you have any books or other resources that you'd recommend to someone going through their own transition? There are a number of books and resources available. One of my personal favorites is a book called The Charisma Myth, and it's by Olivia Fox Cabane. And she says that anyone can learn to be charismatic. It's a set of learned behaviors that is grounded with authenticity. It's a very, very good book and, and very powerful. Otherwise, just really Google sound resources about interview skills and preparation and transition planning. There are lots available, so find one that makes sense to you, that resonates with you. You're welcome to come to our website, interviewsurvivalguide.com, and find resources there. Aletta, if our listeners only remember three things as they go through their own personal transition, what are those three things that you want them to take away from our discussion today? You have many, many strengths. Be able to identify them, be able to communicate them in a way that's meaningful to the job you're going to. Believe in yourself. Even if you're in transition, when you're in transition, all the skills that you've built up, all the experience that you had in the prior setup you were in, you take those with you to your new setup. So don't discount past experience because it's different. Realize the value and be able to sell that. And the third thing and the final thing is believe in yourself. You are an incredibly talented person. And you just have to keep looking until you find the company or the opportunity that best works for you. But believe that you've got value to add. That's kind of the crux of everything we've been speaking about. And just stay positive, stay engaged, and stay active in terms of looking for opportunities. Aletta, I always gauge these podcasts in terms of if I learned something. I've been doing this for many, many years. And when I learned something, it's a really good episode. And I made several notes from what you shared today. 
And I know that my listeners will have several notes that are very actionable that will help them be successful in their job search. Thank you for caring and for sharing your thoughts and and wisdom on this. I really had a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We're working in unprecedented times as the world responds to the recent COVID-19 crisis. The fact is that even those who are not in transition understand it could be right around the corner next month or a year from now. The purpose of these episodes are to give listeners support and the critical tools to adjust with the winds wherever they come. I'll continue to introduce you to guests who have successfully, perhaps gracefully, or without too many battle scars, survived their own obstacle courses, and can share useful information on how to steady your ship or your world in this uncertainty. If today's message was helpful to you, please share it on social media. If you have any questions or podcast ideas for future conversations, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I appreciate your time, your investing in sharing these important conversations with me, my guests, and others who are going through life transition. Transitions between jobs, life stages, new entrepreneurial ventures, or whatever life brings. Change is constant. The more prepared you are for it, the better and easier the change will occur. Thank you again. This is your host, Bob Gerst. See you at our next episode of People in Transition.